Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are on episode 116. My name is Tyler. Of course, as always, you got Pratik and Nick here as well. Today we're going to be kicking it off uh, with Pratik. So what do we got? So Nikki Haley expected to announce presidential run in Charleston on February 15th. So former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is expected to announce that she's running for president on February 15th in Charleston, according to a person familiar with her plans. Haley would be the first Republican to jump into the 2024 presidential race this year, facing only former President Donald Trump, who launched his bid last year as her competition out of the gates. When you're looking at a president, you look at two things. You first look at, does the current situation push for new leadership? And the second question is, am I that person that could be that new leader? Haley told Fox News. Yes, we need to go in a new direction, Haley said, and I can be that leader. Yes, I can. I think I can be that leader. So Haley, who served as a U.S. ambassador to the United Nations in the Trump administration, also called Trump recently to tell, them, tell him that she was considering launching her campaign. The former president told reporters over the weekend, she called me, and she, she'd like to consider it. And I said, you should do it, Trump said in recalling the conversation. So what is your thoughts on the new potential presidential candidate in Nikki Haley? Well, one thing you say, Pratik, is that Trump said, you know, hey, sure, go ahead, do it. I mean, before the show, we were talking, and you basically said, like, no one has a bad thing to say about Nikki Haley. But I wanted to say that I was looking at this political article or this little report that they did, and they kind of quote Haley speaking to the RNC uh, during the winter meeting after January you know, 2021. And here's what she said. She said, quote, uh, speaking about Trump, he was wrong with his words in Charlottesville, and I told him so at the time. He was badly wrong about his words yesterday. And it wasn't just his words. His actions since Election Day will be judged harshly by history, end quote. So just wanted to say, like, the two are not as close as maybe they were when she was nominated to be the UN ambassador. Um, which, you know, she she very much, when she was in office there, I feel like kind of towed the party line and was in line with the administration, what they wanted. So I'm glad that she found some courage after things kind of ended. But, you know, I, I don't know, man. Pratik, I think, you know, for the two of them to be sitting up there on the stage, I feel like surely she would be able to defend herself in a way that Jeb Bush never could have. Yeah, I think. It's interesting because, you know, she I what I was telling Nick is I predict that she might be the vice president candidate. And the reason I say that is just like you know, Nikki Haley is one of those people that gets along with a lot of people. There's not much, you know, anger that people have towards Nikki Haley. I get where Nick's coming from. The issue is, is that vice presidential candidates doesn't necessarily mean you have to be buddy buddy with anybody. Like we talked about it last last week where Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are president, vice president. And Kamala Harris had a lot of negative things to say about Biden. True. So early think, in the primary. But you I have think, to make up at some point, right? Yeah. But I think with Haley, she had been his previous UN ambassador. She was one of the candidates for secretary of state whenever um, even Trump took office. And she probably has pretty decent relations with Ron DeSantis, too, if Ron DeSantis makes it to the top. Plus, you know, she's like she was a former governor. She's had a lot of experience in foreign policy and in domestic policy. So she's like an interesting character where she has a lot of, you know, she has a lot of plus points. Plus, she is a woman and she's an Indian American. 
So it's like not only and she's like half Sikh, half Christian, which that stuff is a little bit more complicating. But her she married she's Sikh. She married someone that's Christian and her kids were raised in both um, the Sikh and the Christian face. And then her daughter is marrying an African-American guy. So very complex person personality is just like very multiracial and it's interesting because these are the kind of things that democrats like to talk about in terms of diversity and who they want to try to find nikki mm. haley basically fits all those boxes but is on the republican party except she's anti-tax <laughs> she's that's anti fine. a lot of these no things. no but i'm talking I, about the diverse part sure the perception right. like you're, no, you're democrats saying, like have she... never really got anybody apart from obama that wasn't white but I mean, in terms of like, you know, what they look for, they're always about fighting for these diverse elements because it doesn't matter who the person is or what they do. It just matters on how they look and what they, you know, what are their different racial implications and how they are in terms of like what they are and what their gender is and what their race is and what their sexual orientation is. That's what matters more to a lot of Democrats. I, I do think both parties have been able to field somewhat diverse primaries for the presidential That's election. True. You can see that with the Republicans in 2016 and then the Democrats in 2020. But I want to bring Tyler in here. Well, continuing on that, I, Republicans don't necessarily vote off those characteristics, though. They're not voting necessarily off identity. So while it might help um, against the Democrats in proving some, some points that have to do with diversity, I'm not sure Republicans are going out there and going, oh, it, finally we have a female woman that's going to be running for president, and now I can vote for her because of that. You know, if you were going to vote Republican before, you're probably still going to vote Republican. You mentioned before that she does have a few um, a positive points. She's younger. She's a woman. Policy positions as well. But against Trump, I don't think she's going to be able to do yeah. much. And um, I, personally, I think DeSantis is the only person that has a chance of standing up against Trump and actually winning the election. Uh, with that said, I think over, I think eventually Nikki Haley has the potential to one day be, be the VP or president. I just think it's too young in her career, and I don't think she has enough national presence yet. Yeah. When you talk to someone that's apolitical, they don't really know who she is. Or if that's they true. do, they've maybe seen her face, but, and they don't know what she believes. And that's something you can get during the presidential election, during that cycle, and especially if you're battling with Trump, that might come up. Um, I'm just not sure she she's going to be able to take that much um, that much from Trump uh, in, in this in this primary. That's uh, Nick. I was going to say, so Pratik is someone who actually knows Nikki Haley pretty well. Pratik, as a Republican, what do you like about her? So I think she was a really good governor when her time when she was governor. Um, like for a lot of Indian people, she was like one of the first Indian politicians to ever make it to that high of a stage. So that was always a plus point to a lot of Indians. So a lot of Indian Americans know who she is. That doesn't necessarily mean anything because we're one of the largest minority populations in the country. But at the same time, that does that is some kind of plus point. I think the other thing about Nikki Haley was she did a lot of different things whenever she was governor. Like she was very famous for removing the Confederate flag from South Carolina, which was different because at that time that was a really hotly contested topic. Um, she also did things like whenever she was the governor of South Carolina, South Carolina did emerge as a really growing state at the time. There was a lot much more pro-business policies that she implemented. There was a lot of growth that happened in South Carolina. And if we've all been to South Carolina because there are southern neighbors to North Carolina, you can automatically tell when you're in South Carolina. The roads are crappier. There's tree, there's weeds growing on the roads. Like it, it's different. You can tell that you're like in the southern. I thought you were part saying what Carolinas. you liked about her, not, not that no, South no, no, Carolina is the. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that she helped improve that state a lot. 
she was influential. She was also a really popular person in her own way. But the problem is, as Nike Tyler said, she doesn't have that same national level presence that somebody like Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump has. And I don't think she's going to go that far in this election. But I do think she is a vice presidential candidate. And what I am interested in terms of this whole thing is if you have enough people like Nikki Haley that decide to throw their ticket in the hat, that's going to influence how the election goes. Because the fact is that whenever primaries and stuff happen, votes are going to split. And from what we've seen from all the polling data right now, which, you know, you all talk about, it's like too early and all that stuff. But one thing that is a common consensus throughout all these polling data is that whenever there's a lot of people inside the GOP primary race, Trump is number one. When there is less people, it's much closer between Trump and DeSantis. Sure, Trump is leading right now by like 18 to 19 points on average, but there have been points where Ron DeSantis has been number one too during the recent polling cycle. So that's one thing that's interesting to see. Like let's say Nikki Haley, you know, she throws her ticket in the hat. Mike Pence throws his ticket in the hat. If you have different people like that, they get involved in the primary, then they could be like the Democratic election time period where there might be somebody like Joe Biden that is number one by a landslide for most of the time. But when you have more and more people that eliminate somebody else's chance of getting further, because in the end of the day, Trump is an incumbent and many of these other people aren't. That's true. But if you're going to do the parallel to Biden, I mean, that's not what happened. That's it fair. was like you were saying, where when there were more people in the race, he did worse. And then, you know, you had the fish fry event, you had, what was it, that's Super fair. Tuesday. And then all of a sudden, you know, he, he ends up pulling ahead. All the moderates drop out, put their support behind him. And then he starts to do well, like seriously. But before that, when there was an actual big playing field, he wasn't like crushing it in the same way that you're saying. But I, I guess yeah. that's the parallel here, right? Joe Biden being so far ahead of the pack when actually he no, was so I guess number, that didn't happen. He was still number one. He just wasn't number one by a big enough landslide because everybody else vote split. I think Trump is different than Biden in that because he was president beforehand, he does have a more solid base than maybe Biden had going into That's those primaries for the Democrats. So I think that was probably the case there. But with that, there is something I want to talk about regarding this. What do you guys think the voting blocks are going to be for the Republicans in the primary. So obviously you have the Trump MAGA party, you got the DeSantis MAGA, but not Trump party. Who else? What other voting blocks do we have to chop up here that so, are we looking at? We always have those conservatives. We have the libertarians, the Freedom Caucus. Like how how are, how are these votes divided up? Because you can almost look at it like uh, like a parliamentary system where they're trying to form coalitions. So I'm just curious to see how you guys are seeing the, the, the playing field right now. So within the Republican Party, you have different groups. So you have the social conservative group. So these social conservative group are all about, um, you know, about religious values. They want to promote social policies. They're anti-abortion, anti-gay marriage. They have certain policies like there. Some of them are opposed to birth control. Others are don't really care. But there's a mix there. But the social conservative policy, you know, so, social conservative group has its own group. And the other element to that social conservative group is this new education stuff with critical race theory. So the social conservative um, group is a very important element that whichever candidate one is running has to try to win because Ron DeSantis has done his part in terms of social policy. Trump yeah, may not be the most. Yep. Yeah, and Trump yep. might not be the most socially conservative guy there is. And every Republican knows that. But 
the whenever he put the Supreme Court justices there, the whole abortion debate and all that stuff that happened, he could link that as a positive for himself as well. So that's a social. He also got their votes. Yeah, he got their votes when he ran in 2016. He got the conservative vote, and that's why he won in a large part. So that social conservative base is a base. Then you have your fiscal moderate people. So your business people, your people that are engaged in some kind of commercial activity. And those are all of us like people that are in my kind of my kind of Republicans that are, you know, usually business owners to some extent or have, you know, or have to do something to do a business. And they're voting for the Republican Party for fiscal reasons. So they don't want the high taxes. They want to reduce the amount of regulations and things that they have to go through, the loopholes that they have to go through. And they, they're trying to push for a candidate that is going to make it better for them in terms of so they make more money. And recently, what you can see is that with Biden, the consumer confidence level is not as high as opposed to when it was Trump. We can argue all kinds of things about what Trump did when he was in office, but in terms of the stock market and in terms of how much money businesses were making at the time, there was record profits as opposed to now where due to inflation, it looks like record profits, but you're having a lot more challenges in operating your business. And, uh, you know, all these companies that you may invest in as an investor are having the same exact po um, problems, you know, when you go to the top. So it's a fiscal conservative. Yeah, but, but, Except but for the there, there is sector. one. Well, there's one point to that. I think unemployment's at the lowest rate it's been. That, over that, like I think it's like 3.4%. And I, I, I understand. People. I understand they can play with the numbers. I understand people aren't. And true, like, if they left the labor force labor. during COVID and then, yeah. Yeah, unemployment's yeah, a little but, bit. But that is something to take in into account. 2020. After 2020, that's a little bit more of a weird thing nowadays. There's other groups, like you have the Tea Party group. The Tea Party Freedom Caucus type groups, they're against the establishment version of politics. So they believe that you need to have people that they that are going to fight for conservative values whenever you elect them, as opposed to having, you know, whatever the party wants to do. My kind of viewpoint about, you know, once you're in the party, you got to get in line. There are people that are against that logic, especially in the Republican Party. Then you have your libertarians that are opposed to government intervention. They want to, you want less money to be going to the government. They have all that kind of stuff. But see, in all of this group within the Republican Party, if you take out the social conservatives, everybody else is about the same. Like we're all kind of this big mix. And then you got your gun rights and those advocates where they're usually part of the social conservative group, but they might be part of the libertarian group. They might be part of the, you know, the fiscal conservative group, but there's like a mix within all of that. And then you got, of course, people that are immigrants that have come in and their immigrant stuff gets mixed in both parties based on what immigrant group that you're talking about. Because certain immigrant groups like Asians tend to vote more heavily Republican and because there is much more of the financial situation that's going on and they tend to have their own businesses and they tend to vote for the more pro-business party, which is the Republican side. While on the other hand, you know, you have your Hispanics and African-Americans where Hispanic people also get split on the immigration debate as well. But African-Americans generally tend to vote for the most part Democrat. So... It's one of those. Hopefully, I didn't confuse anybody. I'm just trying to break out no, the Republican I, elements. That was helpful. I, I think it's it's good for our listeners to understand, like, who are we talking about when we're talking about these voting bases and who's going to be winning in the primaries, who's going to be getting support, and for what reason? I think that was a good overview there. Um, if you guys are ready, I'm happy to turn over yeah. to the next subject here. One last thing I'd like to say is that for the socially conservative stuff, like, let's be real. Who's competing 
for that vote. Like no matter who the Republican nominee is going to be, those people are going to remain in the Republican Party. They're going to vote Republican down ticket. It's not going to change their mind one way or another. Maybe it's part of the conversation is energizing the base to actually get out and vote. But you're not going to lose any votes unless someone stays home. Like whether it's DeSantis, Trump, Haley, whoever it is. Like if you look at the two big Republican caucuses right now, they both vote heavily on socially conservative issues. And so I know the Freedom Caucus is a little bit more, but it just just generally, the Republican Party seems like it's pretty lockstep in line with some of the socially conservative stuff where, like, I, I can't think of a single Republican who's, like, really out there on social issues and goes against the grain. I don't know, Pratik, feel free to disagree, but that's just my impression in terms it's, of, like, what actually matters. It, it doesn't seem like, it, if anything, it'll be, like, a little bit of a... Uh, you know, competition on the debate stage to see like who's more socially conservative than the other person to one up them. Yeah. But it's not like they're not socially conservative. Like every single candidate running is and, going to have that as a major point. And I think that's a big thing too, because social conservatives are an element of the Republican Party. They're not the entire Republican Party. There is like even if you were to go look at polling data on how what people feel about things like abortion, what people think about gay marriage, what people think about these social issues about guns you're going to have some diversity here and there and it's like you're and as a republican candidate sure the gun thing you want to remain pro-gun rights because that's there's more voters that are going to be more pro-gun rights than anti the social policy it varies so the issue with the social policy conservatives is that that might be your mike pence seven percent of the votes that you see in the polls right now like that's the thing is with with all the social policy people there's actually much more of like a debate going on who they want to choose because Trump is not the most socially conservative person there is. Nikki Haley is not really socially conservative either if you look at her policies in South Carolina. But then when you look at people like Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis, they're really socially conservative. So it's like a social conservative like group is having their thing, but the candidate has to make sure that they don't become too socially conservative so they don't lose some of the other voters that are not that socially conservative in the party. While as opposed to like candidates in particular voters are very different from what 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 they believe because voters are much more you know multi-dimensional in terms of what their thoughts and views are as opposed to candidates that are just straight party line for the most part apart from trump so that's the issue here that that's fair but i think the fiscal stuff to me like isn't really a real issue i get that a lot of republicans yourself included would really care about lowering taxes sure the red tape stuff that's that's easy political red meat but in terms of actually like cutting government spending, like when McCarthy comes out and says, oh, you know, we can't raise the debt ceiling. We need to do all this stuff. It's like Trump put us in more debt than we were previously. Biden's doing the same thing. It's like neither party can claim a victory on trying to reduce government deficits. I, I just don't think but that that's a real mainstay is, of the Republican Party. Still, like all the free trade stuff went out the window the second the last election rolled around and bulldozed all those arguments to say like, yeah, free trade doesn't matter anymore. Domestic manufacturing is the only thing that matters. Bring back the textile mills. Bring everything back here. And I look, think, I'm not totally opposed varies, to that, though. but I think you need a mix. It all varies within the party. That's what I'm trying to say. Even if you talk to many Republicans, they're going to vary on the topics of trade and, and manufacturing and stuff. But like yeah, the big say, issues are no longer, that, you know, the I, traditional fiscal conservative I think, stuff. 
Like the Northeastern but, but Republicans it, it, don't it, matter. Hold on. Nick, you it's not a wedge issue, but it's still an issue where if I'm if I'm a voter and the only thing I'm voting for is slightly less tax, I, I'm going to vote for that. Exactly. I'm, I might vote, like, let's say Republican. And, that, and that's I think that is that actually that's a fair. lot of moderates. A lot of moderates who are apolitical, I think, fall into that camp where it's like nothing really matters except my bank account. Yeah. I, I really think for a lot of people it comes down to that. I just wanted to make one comment. I, I thought it was funny. I had seen from uh, Ray Dalio. Um, he said that the U.S. debt limit is a farce, and it works like a bunch of alcoholics who, who write laws to enforce drinking limits. And I just thought that was so funny because it's so true. I mean, like, see, no one, Republican no, or Democrat, really I, cares I about how much debt though. we're taking on, how much we spend, and how big the government is. That, that libertarian aspect of Republicans and Democrats just doesn't exist I, anymore. I do disagree somewhat, though, because on welfare issues— Republicans don't like giving a bunch of monies for all these different programs that Democrats would like to implement. If Democrats were in power, they'd give a lot more money to all these different programs and different elements that they, you know, like certain programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid are the basics. But then you go into the other other programs like earned income tax credit. You go into the child tax credits, all those other programs, the, the defer, deferment program, those things Republicans are not about. So sure, they may raise um, the, they may, you know, may increase the debt. The debt's going to increase regardless of whether you have a Republican or Democrat. And even if a Libertarian were to become president, even the debt would increase in that situation too. But you can't say that Republicans in general are not about, you know, raising the debt because most of these Republicans that you will talk to are opposed to welfare programs in general. They don't like all this money going to people that are poor and need the needy because the argument is, is that you're taking money that is my tax money to give to other people who don't have money. And it's like that redistribution policies that take place. So that's the issue. It's like it's not clear cut and dry. Sure. You basically Should just said Republicans exist. don't care about poor people. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, they don't have money. I'm not, we're not saying give that either. Money. What I'm saying <laughs> is that Republicans believe that you shouldn't take, you, it's the same argument with taxes. They don't want as much, you know, they don't want to pay that much in taxes. They don't want their money to go to all these different programs. They would rather keep their money so then they can invest that in other things. And argument is that if you were to do that, then you're going to create more jobs. You're going to create more money, put in back, putting, putting money back into the economy, as opposed to having all these policies where you're giving loans out to all of these people that are, that won't be able to pay for it in the future just because they're they don't have they're not wealthy and in the end of the day it's a cyclical cycle where the people that are poor are going to remain poor because they're stuck in these programs that's the issue that republicans and democrats have it's not that they don't like poor people it's the fact that republicans in general are just opposed to welfare for that simple reason and i, I would argue that republicans on every other front are all about spending just like the democrats even if on that that one in that one regard i know but that's not. the biggest thing that differentiate in terms of spending that's the main thing you spend on like what is the biggest expenditures in our country apart from national security which goes up whether it's a republican or democrat which is the biggest reason to why debt increases everything else it's a lot of that other social policy welfare stuff Democrats would give you like they, if Democrats had the ability and they had the votes, they would pass some trillion dollar like universal health care bill and then they would stick it to everybody else that is making money. So everyone in our country can have health insurance. Then they would be like, yo, we did a great thing. But in the long term, you're going to be spending more money and your debt's going to increase. That's just an example. But what well, I'm that's saying the fight is right like, now that's with the thing. Medicare and Medicaid. I mean, that's that's already an entitlement program, like you were saying. I, I would say, Pratik, I'm surprised you didn't frame it as 
you know, I feel like the Republican talking point and I mean, I'm look, not too, I'm, 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 me. not too, I'm not, I'm going to be, cut I, no, I know, I know, like. but I'm just, I'm just surprised I didn't hear the normal, like, you know, oh, well, we just would like to help, you know, the poor and distant franchise in a different way, which is investing in businesses. We've seen that American businesses but that's have what you're been doing, one of the best basically. gateways towards, you know, better life, yada, yada, you know, you can end up disagreeing with that, but I feel like that's like the main pitch yeah I mean, obviously if i was a politician i'd tell you stuff in a more okay like, cookie cutter way but that's my point is like you can't really say that them or that you know debts are going to increase because your national their national defense costs increase a lot most of your money goes towards things like tanks planes and boats like you're not that, that's you're not, not true in terms of the federal budget i mean i guess we're yeah, getting away from the main conversation national defense, but like though, but yeah we spend more on health care than yeah. we do on defense no, we don't. How, how about we, we move yeah, on we to our next subject? I, I know we can go on this forever, unless you guys have any final comments. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Let's so move on. We got, yeah. we got a, a interesting, fun, you know, except like horrible story at the same time here. We have Democrats demand removal of Lincoln Emancipation Memorial in D.C. So House Democrats proposed legislation Wednesday to remove the Emancipation Memorial from Lincoln Park in Washington, D.C., which they said portrays a racially insensitive image of President Abraham Lincoln freeing an enslaved man. Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, Democrat from D.C., reintroduced legislation to remove the statue Wednesday, the first day of Black History Month. She first announced her plan to propose the bill in the House in 2020. The delegate noted that the statue was initially paid for by free slaves, but said the design was not representative of their struggles. Interesting that she knows that, but the uh, freed slaves didn't know that. But let me continue. Although formerly enslaved Americans paid for the statue, the design and sculpting process was done without their input or participation. And it shows, Norton said in a statement announcing the legislation. The memorial was dedicated to mark the 11th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's assassination in 1876 and shows the former president holding a copy of the Emancipa Emancipation Proclamation, which declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforth shall be free. The statue has been a hot spot for protests in recent years as organizers have de decried its imagery as racially insensitive. If you look at the statue, it's Abraham Lincoln standing up holding the emancipation document that freed all African-American slaves while looking down at African-American on his knees. Quote, Boston removed its replica of the statue in favor of placing it in a publicly accessible location where it can be better contextualized, Norton said. It is time for Congress to place the original statue in a museum, too. So we've had so many discussions on the show about removing statues, what we should do. Should we destroy statues? Should we move them somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this one, I, you know, I have some strong opinions about. I, I let you guys know that about uh, before the show. But first, I want to get your take. What are your thoughts on this um, remo potential removal of the statue here in Black History Month? Yeah, so I could understand, you know, sort of the <laughs> disappointment at having something like this removed where it's like, OK, look. Uh, freed slaves ended up paying for this. However, when you added in that quote from the representative in D.C., or the delegate, rather, um, I think that paints it pretty well for me, which is why I'm actually in favor of them either moving it to a museum, recontextualizing it, or doing some sort of change. Where, you know, if they didn't have any input, sure, it's one thing to pay for something, but if you have no sort of design input, and then if one of, like, the the founding fathers, so to speak, of, you know, Black America, Frederick Douglass, comes out, gives the keynote to this very thing. And this is in the Fox News article, which they included, which I thought was a nice touch. 
In his keynote address, he did not praise the statue and in private remarks went as far as to say, quote, it showed the Negro on his knee when a more manly attitude would have been indicative of freedom, end quote. I just think this whole thing could have easily been avoided if the um, freed slave depicted in the statue was just standing up, where level with Lincoln. I mean, we joked about it before the show. The, the guy is essentially like waist groin level with Lincoln. And like pretty close. It, it's not a good look, you know? I could see why this statue in particular is like not the, you know, shining beacon of emancipation that people would want to, you know, show to the world or, you know, just in our society. So, you know, on the one hand, I don't think there's any ill will behind it in, in any way. So sure, if you want to, don't destroy it, don't remove it. But, you know, if you want to recontextualize it, I guess that just means putting it in a museum or changing some of what the signage is. I think I'm fine with that. But, you know, whether or not we need to get rid of the statue altogether, I think at least in terms of the conversation of what's been presented, where again, it's one thing to have paid for something, but if you had zero input on the design, and then when it's unveiled, you know, someone who's really a champion of the movement goes, you know, wow, this, this is not great. I don't know. I just don't think that this is the statue for Republicans to really die on. It's not a statue for Republicans to die on. I guess the point for me is we try to, as you said, recontextualize history in a way that we deem is, you know, okay. But the reality is things happen, history happened, and we have to accept what happened for what it was. And if during the time they felt that that was a right, a symbol of their freedom and, and they wanted to construct the statue... I don't know why we should be removing it. And there are there are some cases where I'm like, it's okay to be moving it to a museum or something. But this, to me at least, represents what America stands for. The the absence of slavery, the freedom of men. And sure, he might not be in the best position and you, you can debate whether he should be standing or not. I'm perfectly fine with that. I just don't think you can redo history. And I think that's what we constantly try to do over and over again today. It's say, we don't like the way history went. We're going to reframe it how we want to be seeing it. And I don't think that's the proper way to go about it. Um, when I look at ancient Greek statues, I'm not looking at it because I need them to represent what I now believe. That's not what it's about. It's what are they trying to show at the time? And in this case, it was Abraham Lincoln literally freeing a race of people in America. And I think that's a powerful statement. And sure, like I said before, you might not like how it's necessarily portrayed in that statue, but what it stands for and the fact, I know you said they didn't get to contribute, but the fact that slaves paid for it tells me it is an important part of American history and it should be shown. And that's not a statue I would willing be willing to just let go so easily. That's very pretty. I think my thought process is just that Abraham Lincoln is, I mean, in the end of the day, you have to remember, this is the president that came in and he came in with one purpose that he wanted to make all, he wanted to basically eliminate slavery. Sure, there's all these other semantics that took place, but literally he came in, it was his political message. He got elected and then the Confederate states basically, all these states in the Union basically said that they're not going to be part of the country anymore and they joined the Confederate States of America. Like literally Abraham Lincoln got elected for the sole purpose and was, was one of his main messages is that he wanted to make all people equal. Now, you can have all these debates about, oh, what was Abraham Lincoln like? What did he believe? But in the end of the day, that's why Abraham Lincoln is remembered. 
And Abraham Lincoln might be the most popular president in the history of our country. Like, he's the one guy that everyone that's a Republican and Democrat can get behind. There's not like, oh man, I don't like Abraham Lincoln. Everybody likes Abraham Lincoln. If somebody says they don't like it, people will automatically assume that they're a racist. Like, literally, that's the one, like, common baseline, you know, person that everybody can get behind. Now, the issue is, is that, yeah, sure, the statue doesn't look ideal, but at the same time, you have to put it into that context. Before, before that statue was made, before Abraham Lincoln did the Emancipation Proclamation, before that, black people were not treated as equal. All of us minorities were not real people at the time. If Indians were there in America at that time, we would be considered the same equivalent to a black person. Like, my point is that, you know, Abraham Lincoln was that shining figure that allowed for everything to take place. And most presidents, even now, like, let's say there was some big hot topic issue like that. I doubt most presidents in our world today would be like, yeah, let's just start a civil war so we can solve this issue. But that also shows how ballsy Abraham Lincoln was at the time, too. So I just think that I agree with Tyler somewhat. I agree that if you look at it from a certain angle, the picture does look kind of bad where it's like Abraham Lincoln is looking down on the slave. But at the same time, the fact is that at that, you know, if you look at it in terms of context, the African-American people were literally allowed to be given the same equivalency in terms of rights because of what Abraham Lincoln did. Sure, it took them till 1960 before they were able to get equal rights altogether, but the stepping stone all started because of Abraham Lincoln. So if this person is bowing down to Abraham Lincoln, the point is that the reason why all people, including minorities like me, are able to live the same equal rights as everybody else is because Abraham Lincoln stayed that foundation. That's right, but I don't think it's an issue thoughts. with Abraham Lincoln or an issue with any of the history. I just think people are taking issue with the stance in which I know, the... but you have to remember who it is. It's not like it's not like Robert E. Lee. Like every every statue has a storyline. Most of these statues right. that we know, we have no idea who it is. It's just some random white person sitting on a horse. But in this situation, Abraham Lincoln, everyone knows that is Abraham Lincoln. You can complain about how Abraham Lincoln is standing. You can complain about how Abraham Lincoln is looking. But at the end of the day, we all know it's Abraham Lincoln. Nobody is looking at Abraham Lincoln as like, man, that racist guy. In the end of the day, is Abraham Lincoln. He's like literally the only guy at the time that you could say wasn't racist. Yeah, I, I guess I don't. You said you said Republicans. Why would they die on this hill? Why would Democrats die on this hill? The one guy that represents everything supposedly that you stand for is the one that you're trying to take out. And we could say it a million times. Yeah, it's not the perfect position, but it shows Abraham Lincoln is the hero, which is what I think both white and black people thought of the man as they were going, at least in the North, as they were fighting for their freedoms. And to me, I think it's ridiculous that Democrats would attack this. They're just politically, I feel like it's a silly move. You're going to have people going against them just outright because of the title. It's like you're removing a statue of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, that's just canon. It's so easy to attack that. Um, I just think it's silly. I think there are probably better targets to go after. The Confederate flag makes sense. Or Abraham Lincoln, pretty much in any context, doesn't make sense. But the, again, the fact that it was paid for by slaves, regardless of their input or not, to me, says it should be a part of American history and it shouldn't be something we get rid of. True. And I think the way you phrased it is, I think that's the issue, though. It's like for proponents who would want something to change about the statue, they would say the focus of the statue should have been on 
the emancipation, right? That's what it should have been on. And so they're focusing on the figure. How, of how the do you know? Slave. How do you that, know that's that they that's didn't what they're know saying? How... That's see, what the no, proponents are literally I'm saying. saying. No, but I'm that's saying the back proponent. then when they made it, when they made it, that's not. Well, no, I'm, I'm trying to. My Tyler, position Tyler, is that's my second point. In historical hold context. On, hold yeah, on. Go ahead. Because I'm, I'm getting there. Okay, so that's what proponents are saying, right? But what you just said, I thought was a good point, which is, you know, what's the point of the statue? Like, who built it? It was the 11th anniversary of his assassination. It was built to sort of commemorate his good deeds, right? So the focus of it is on Abraham Lincoln. I think that's ultimately why, you know, maybe I'm doing a little bit of a reversal here, but like the focus of this statue is to sort of celebrate Abraham Lincoln and his life. But on the other side, you would see, okay, this isn't really, you know, sure, the emancipation huge huge part of his legacy that's like the most important thing that he did right um but based on what people are saying here for Holmes and some of the other democrats in dc who actually live in the district they're saying look we see this as sort of outdated and you know again having someone prostrated on all fours essentially right before lincoln not the best look that's and all. what what tyler is saying is that sorry for putting words in your mouth but what tyler is saying is that at that time you have to look at it in terms of the context of that time for African Americans, they were literally given rights and freedoms because of Abraham Lincoln. If anything, Abraham Lincoln was basically a god to all minorities, probably at that time. Oh, because before that time, well, no one had rights. Yeah, a hero, not a god. No one, no one apart from white people had rights. And even white people didn't necessarily have whites, unless you were a landowner. But at that time, it was just that Abraham Lincoln was looked at at that pedestal, probably by all of these African Americans, because in the end of the day, the only reason that they were able to become free was because Abraham Lincoln basically invited this war and wrote this document and won, for his, won in his election that allowed him to be able to free everybody and make them equals. Like, the fact is that you have to look at it in the context. Sure, in terms of picture value, you're like, oh yeah, Abraham Lincoln's looking down on the person. But like, in overall context, like, Abraham Lincoln is the biggest reason to why all of us minorities have equal rights in this country. Right, you're saying because he's not a bad person, there's no exactly. malintent in the actual statue, therefore... Exactly. Look, look, let's say you're not an idiot and you see this statue in public. What do you think? Oh, this man must have enslaved that person. Or, oh, this man is there to free that person. I mean, it's just so clear. We're re you can, re you, can you know, have, have any uh, narrative approach to it. You can take a postmodern approach and interpret it however you want. But that's just stupid and, and idiotic. I'm just and interpreting it the way I see it. It's I, not a good I look, hate when, I hate when people in the modern day try to say it doesn't hit me right in this in this way therefore it needs to change i just i hate that idea because we just always assume we know what's right and what's best now and i think you know if you take pc culture far enough you become the racists and i think that's kind of what i see here and i'm not saying it's specifically this issue that shows that but there's a trend where it's like you go farther and farther and you're almost attacking the very foundation of your freedoms and what you're supposed to represent and love about this country. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I guess just the fact that Frederick Douglass criticized it during the unveiling while he's giving the keynote that was supposed to celebrate it. I mean, that for me says enough. I but still. I, yeah, but like that's that's one guy again. It's one, it's guy's, one guy's opinion. Guy's I don't opinion. think I don't again. I don't think when you show up and see that statue, that's what people are thinking. I don't think that's what it represents. And I think when you when you see a piece of history or statue, you know, if, if it's powerful enough, it'll get some kind of emotional reaction from you. And for me, it's not how awful this man is in chains. It's how great it is that someone was willing to stand up and change something that was so horrific in this country. And 
you know, for me, this this just doesn't make much sense. Yeah, I, I the only reason why I brought up Frederick Douglass, by the way, is because he really was a champion for black rights and black freedom. So, like, for it's someone true. to be such a champion for that and then see this thing and be like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about this one. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's just <laughs> something that I took away from it. But to your point, you know, there is a broader historical context here. I would be really interested to know who actually designed it. I think that would sort of put a lot of the arguments to rest. You know, but in any case, I think people are just blowing a lot of hot air here. The Chinese, they've been doing some stuff lately. We have this balloon that's been over the U.S. Pratik, what is going on with the balloon? So the U.S. military on Saturday shot down a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon that had been transiting across the country for several days. In a statement Saturday... Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said a U.S. fighter aircraft assigned to U.S. North Northern Command successfully brought down the balloon at the direction of President Joe Biden. Lloyd said the balloon was being used by the People's Republic of China in an attempt to surveil strategic sites in the continental United States. The high-altitude balloon was initially spotted over Billings, Montana on Wednesday. China Foreign Ministry said Friday that the balloon was a civilian weather airship intended for scientific research that was blown off course. The claim was severely dismissed by U.S. officials. The FAA issued a ground stop in parts of North Carolina and South Carolina on Saturday afternoon to support the Department of Defense in a national security effort. This high-altitude balloon, estimated to be the size of three school buses, was bursted in a small explosion before falling into the water when it got shot down. President Biden told reporters that he had instructed officials to shoot it down on Wednesday, but they wanted to wait until it was safe as possible. They successfully took it down and wanted to compliment our aviators who did it, Biden said. And we'll have more to report on this a little later. So, Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on this big balloon that got shot down? So we don't know like too much at this point. I would love to know what exactly was in this balloon that made us think that it was Chinese specifically and that they were using it for surveillance. I wonder if we were able to maybe hack it or like get into the technology and see what was actually going on. But realistically, even before they shot it down, the Chinese probably got whatever they wanted from it. Whatever surveillance they were going for was likely um, they were likely able to get it because it it was over the U.S. for a few days and it could probably record that information, send it back and then. They're good to go. It, it's it's a, a bit unnerving because of what's been going on with Taiwan. Um, I don't know if you guys had seen the article I posted a few days ago, but China China's also been you know antagonizing Taiwan more and more and more. Is something going to come of all this? I'm not quite sure, but it is an interesting escalation because I've never seen a, a weather balloon or just a giant balloon used for surveillance, let alone attack another nation. I mean, they, they, they knew we were going to find it, right? It's not like we were just going to let this balloon go on forever. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what's going on with this, but it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, Nick? I don't think they should have shot it down, okay? I think they should have gotten out some big tow cables and moved it somewhere, okay? Then taking a closer look. Like the statue? I don't think you shut this thing down, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I just think, you know, they could they could have moved it somewhere. They could have, you know, gently guided it down. Maybe not so gently, but guided it down, taking a closer look instead of just shooting the thing and letting it fall in the ocean. You move it to I mean, a museum sure gonna... and then analyze it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have to imagine black, we, more we knew what was needed. in it, though. We wouldn't have shot it down if we didn't think we knew what was in it, right? Because if we thought we could get something from it, why would we shoot it down? It's a balloon. Can't someone go up there and just, like, grab the balloon? I don't know. It doesn't seem too difficult. Maybe I'm not thinking about it enough. No, that's fair. I mean, it would have been, I don't know. I would have appreciated seeing someone, you know, 
take the thing down and then, you know, maybe they parachute with it. I don't I, They could have done something. But um, I think, Tyler, actually, I, I saw something that NORAD was actually tracking it where it left mainland China and then came up over Alaska, went down into the U.S. sort of central plain and then spilled out over to the coast. So I think we kind of knew that it originated from China in terms of what it was actually doing. Like you said, I'm sure we could have guessed um, and probably did, which is why we felt. Why did we shoot it down sooner? It down. But I don't know, man. I, I just well, one they didn't want it to like hit anyone or anything, you know. Yeah. Like if you, you end up shooting the thing down and then it falls in Alaska, on house, I mean, like, yeah, that's you, not. You probably got pretty good odds. Well, that was early. Take it down early. early. I don't know. That's yeah, when they no. didn't know about it. I think it's it, it's it's funny how like this could be like them trying to do Google mapping, <laughs> yeah, like some kind of instead of satellite, <laughs> the Chinese have just have balloons like, everywhere. This is what it looks like in America, people. <laughs> it's interesting because again. It's funny that the Chinese foreign ministry said that this b- balloon was a civilian war- weather airship. That's what they called it. Now, the problem with these kind of things is it could actually lead to, you know, we've had smaller instances like a submarine blowing up that has led to a big old war to happen. Like this kind of thing could be risky that, you know, probably the foreign policy analysts had to analyze before they made a decision on this topic. Because if this balloon got shot down and if China took big offense to it and wanted to do something to the United States, it could be a big international incident. Not saying that this balloon really matters that much, but if it mattered enough that to the Chinese people, if the balloon got shot down, it could have been a big But well, why would it have been? Because then we would have had no, World look, War Three. They were like in our airspace, and I know week. Nick knows more about airspace and the FAA and all that, but like they were in our well, airspace. They knew dude, we could take it out fair. if if it were overhead it's the same as like if there is like boats on the south china sea that is in their territory and they're spiraling around taiwan it's the same kind of thing if it's under a sphere of influence that is under a particular country's jurisdiction then anybody has the ability to do whatever but whenever something happens it could be a big international incident i don't know if you've seen that show jack ryan it basically is what happens in jack ryan so, I mean, you know, I'm not saying the shows mean everything, but that's basically how the Spanish-American War happened in the 1890s, too, is the submarine being in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. I think this is all just misunderstood. It was probably some food delivery service. Okay, Alibaba's trying something new. They send up a pizza. <laughs> they're trying to deliver it to Montana. You know, maybe it was over an Air Force base. Those guys get hungry. You're watching ICBMs. You know, you work up an appetite. So, who knows? Maybe it was just a delivery gone bad. But, yeah, I look... I would have loved it. They towed it away. They shot it down. Do you guys think Blinken should have delayed his visit the way that he's doing right now in light of this? He was going to go over to China, but well, we talked about retaliation. What other happened. form of retaliation do we have other than to de- delay the meeting and you know show politically that send yeah, our own balloons, <laughs> just shoot over our own balloons? No, but like I, I understand it politically. It. You could say we took offense to this. We're going to investigate this. We're not going to meet yet. I get that. We really have no other recourse. It's, it, I know a particular saying that, you know, big wars can start from small events. And I think that's true. Um, if there's a huge powder keg built up, I just don't think it's built up enough that we're about to explode. So I, I don't think we have a risk of war, but it does show increasing escalations. I, China's never done this before, and I have to imagine they knew what was going on. Well, speaking of people that don't know actually, what's going on. Actually, uh, Biden specifically Biden. did know what was going on in this case. Well, let's get to the story. So FBI searched Biden's Delaware vacation home as part of classified documents probe. Um, so federal investigators conducted a search Wednesday of President Joe Biden's vacation home in uh, Rehoboth, Rehoboth, Delaware, 
Rehoboth, Delaware, as part of their ongoing probe into his handling of classified documents, officials said. Bob Bauer, Biden's personal lawyer, said in a statement that the president's team did not seek to provide advance notice of the operation, but he confirmed the search by the Department of Justice was taking place. No documents with classified markings were found, he said in a statement, but as with the similar search at Biden's other Delaware home, the DOJ took, the, uh, took for further review some materials and handwritten notes that appeared to relate to his time as VP. The search is part of a special counsel investigation into Biden's handling of various classified materials found at Biden's home upon searches in November, December, and January. Quote, we have been pretty transparent from the beginning with providing information as it occurs throughout the process. Ian Sams, a spokesperson for the White House Counsel's Office, said uh, to reporters, we have released probably thousands of words of statements with the president's personal attorney in the White House Counsel's Office about the process that has been undertaken. This new information has brought fresh frustration among some Democrats and many Republicans where they've raised questions on why these searches weren't conducted sooner and more thoroughly. So another case of Biden's classified documents, really a continuation of that story. But uh, the interesting part to me, at least, was the media framing of this. Of course, you have the Trump raid and this is just a Biden search and he was fully complying and everything's OK. Would they have raided a sitting president? I don't think so. But would the, are the implications similar to what happened with Trump? I, personally, I, I think so, given that they weren't able to find anything in Trump's um, raid. And it looks like they haven't found anything here. So what are you guys' thoughts on this? I know we've talked about this a few times, but this continuation in the classified document story. They keep finding them. And look, you remember, I think it was a week or two ago, they found him at Mike Pence's home. It, it always only seems to be the VPs, although I guess it happened to Trump as well. But it's like, at this point, we have to search for a candidate who hasn't had classified documents at their home. You know, it used to be Trump was the only person. Now it's like, all right, all right, is there a single person who hasn't brought these home with them? But I don't know. Look, looking at the vacation home, sure, you know, knock yourselves out. Um, I'm going to say what I've said on previous episodes, despite being a Democrat. Yeah, he shouldn't have had the documents. They should have been returned. Um, in terms of the rating thing, it's such a different conversation. I know we fight about this every single time, but you know, for Trump to be rated, it's because he wasn't complying with the search. They're like, we know you have the documents. Can you give it over to us? And he's like, no, I refuse. So they're like, fine, we're going to raid you. Whereas Biden, he's like, oh man, we just found these documents. You want them? And they're like, oh yeah. And we're going to look at your other houses too. And he's like, okay, like that, that's the difference. Yeah, I just think that the media and Democrats love to spin it in the way that Biden is always like the good guy. You know, he's just he knows what he's doing. Oh, no, he's, I... he's not good. But he's better than Trump. <laughs> Easy to do, but better than Trump. My issue with this in general is that it's the same logic to all the Trump investigations because Democrats love to throw investigations on Trump. If there was anything that was that big enough evidence that, you know, was part bad enough that we should all know about it. We would have known about it by now. And with all these investigations going on and all these things that they found in Biden's home and now this other home that they haven't found anything in, there hasn't been anything that has probably been revealed that has been that big of a story. Otherwise, we would have known about it. Same way with January 6th, same as Mar-a-Lago. There hasn't been any big evidence things that have popped up. Otherwise, everyone in our country would have known about it because that's what they do. If the media gets their hands on some kind of big classified document that's going to like shake up the world, do you really think that the media is not going to hype on it? Probably not. They probably will do it as soon as they find, find their hands on it. So, Do you think I that's actually... Think 
a bigger I, story critique is the fact that like the media is getting these documents and yet people who sit on committees in the Senate who should have oversight of this, probably. like Rubio and his counterpart, the Democrat, I mean, they went on air for, with CBS and basically said like, hey, why is it that the media keeps getting these documents? We should, we should be able to see what these are. are. And when the media. senators request them, they're denied. So I, the I think that as, is a big issue. I agree. And I think that kind of shows the incompetence of the government as well. That the government doesn't have proper oversight yeah. over these things. That's something I Where somebody that's too. in the media is able to get access on things beforehand. But I do think that in, in the end of the day, all of these situations, I don't really think Donald Trump's situation is any different from Joe Biden's because if there was anything that was that big clear cut that we had to be known by people that could shake up the world if there's evidence of this document stuff was found, we would have known about it. And the fact that we don't know about it means that is probably but it doesn't mean it wasn't justified because there could have been something and you're holding classified documents i get that but the most important point here i think we can all agree is maybe we should have better protocols in place of who gets these classified documents and where they take them because clearly these it's not just biden trump pence etc that have these documents i'm sure hundreds of politicians have classified documents in places that we don't know about they're probably innocuous but does that not tell us that our system is just absolute horseshit and we're talking about how you know people on committees should be getting these documents first and i agree but we there's so much incompetence in terms of actually securing that information that of course the media is going to get it ahead of time of course someone that can use it for political leverage is going to use it with the media for political leverage because at the end of the day the one that's the people that of voting for them are most important and that's who they're trying to convince uh through the media also think the media is much smarter than the people that are in office that's what i'm controlling kind of the narrative they are because really? the people people that are in office are like literally like begging for these documents so then they can uncover what it is and then you got the media they figure out how to get there and they figure out and cover this detail so they bring it to everybody and what when one news story does it everybody else jumps on board i it's think it's not- interesting that the government people themselves, I'm sure like what Tyler was saying, they are probably hundreds of politicians out there that have classified documents based on this precedent going on right now. The only difference is, is they're not as important or as famous as Trump, Biden, and Pence. So nobody cares. Nobody's going to investigate them. And even if there is foul play going on, you as an individual will never know because the media is not going to investigate it. And it's not like politicians are going to talk about negative things about themselves because in the end of the day, they probably all do the same stuff. I don't know why we always frame the media as like this all-powerful, super knowledgeable, sophisticated. I, I didn't do that. I critiqued us. Like, I, don't, I didn't do I, that. <laughs> I believe that. I don't think they are. I think a bunch of these reporters, for example, when you think of a whistleblower, right? When you think of whistleblowers, who do they take information to? They're not throwing it up the chain the way they usually do. They're not going through all the protocols and whatever. They're going to go find some reporter, send something on Box, or send something on some, you know, secure whatever, and they're going to say, okay, here, I'm giving this to you, the journalists, to go run a story. Here's your scoop. Go run it and make some money. Like, that's... The, the journalists are just kind of sitting there. They're like, you got anything for me? Give it to me. I'm going to run with it. They're not going in and verifying it. And the times when they do run in and verify it, we remember with the Hunter Biden laptop story, you know, I didn't end up voting for Trump. I wanted Biden to be elected. But in terms of the Biden story going through the different news outlets, them looking at it closer and being like, wow, this this is pretty fishy. I think I would have made the same decision. 
But we can see that like the media doesn't always get it right. And in terms of like the review protocols and whatever, if something's a really meaty, juicy story like that, sure. But when something's just like, oh, someone had classified documents, it's not like they're actually publishing the classified documents. But for whatever reason, they're still sent them to be able to verify it. And I think that's the that's the strange thing where it's like, okay, it's being sent to them. It should be sent to the people on the committees. But just by virtue of how whistleblowers and other people who leak information to the press work, they're not going to go through proper channels. That's the entire point is to not do that same thing with the supreme court case being leaked before it was ever uh put out like there's an incentive for these leakers to do it whether it's an ideological incentive whether it's a personal incentive we don't really know in some of these cases but i just wanted to say like it's not like the media overall like i'm not going to the individual journalist and look if you're really great with a source good good for you you should be paid more money but i'm not going to go to you and be like oh wow so and so is such a great media organization and so powerful and so smart because they got someone leaking a highly interesting thing that the entire country wants to know about to some bum reporter like that to me doesn't really indicate anything about the reporter it just indicates something about why is this information being leaked to the press instead of going through the proper channels that's all i'm not saying i disagree with you what i would say is though is that when i say the media is important i mean it from the context that everything that we know about in terms of any story that happens first comes from the media. The right. media shapes how we think about anything. It even shapes what we know. Without the media, we wouldn't know about anything. That's the importance of the media. These politicians could be doing all kinds of shady things in the background, but if there wasn't a media representative telling you about what was going on, you would never know about it. And that's now why we have I videos, say, and now we have... it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. How many people are going to be watching C-SPAN trying to figure out everything going on? Who knows all the channels to the back access doors of everything that these politicians talk about? And I'm not saying that any of these politicians are all bad people, but I am saying that there is sketchy things that we do know about in history that has happened from both parties, regardless of whoever's in office. This could go back to even things like JFK and Merlin Monroe's disappearance. I mean, like anything that happens, the reason why we know about it is because of the media. If the media reports a story, that influences how we believe, what we think about things. This is why I argue that, you know, the fact that there's more media stations that are liberal is going to influence how people think about the thing, how people think about Trump or how people think about the Republican Party. My point is that in the end of the day, I value the media at a really high pedestal because everything that we know in our regular day lives happens because of the media. If the media didn't exist, we wouldn't know about anything. People could literally be dying in yeah. Congress and you'd have no clue because no so one's going to report it. You're, you're you're not wrong, but I would, and I've made this point before, but because of the various ways you can get information nowadays, it's not nearly as centralized as it used to be. With that said, though, when I look at a case where Trump was raided by the FBI, I can, and I, I use this test a lot, I can go on the street and say, hey, did you know Trump was raided by the FBI? They go, oh, of course he was. I know he's probably corrupt anyway. But if you said, hey, did you know Joe Biden was actually searched twice by the FBI for classified documents? They probably wouldn't know that. And it's because when it, you when you put out a story, it's not about that first story, that first article that comes out. It's what follows and who jumps in and who coalesces around it. And it seems that there's a big bias in terms of like what people are willing to group up on and attack and what they're not. So in that regard, I see where the bias comes in. But there are just so many ways that people get information nowadays. I think the media, the media, the establishment media's, um, you know, stronghold on information isn't nearly where it used to be. But it's still very powerful. It still shapes the minds of millions of Americans, especially voting Americans, because the older 
public is probably more likely to to be getting information from those more traditional sources traditional tv and such but even then like they all salivated over the joe biden story like they still ran that 24 7 so i don't know i tyler i see what you're saying where it's like if you report a big story a week later are people going to know all the nuances and little details no they're not they're just going to know the big story but in terms of biden being you know holding these classified documents and being investigated for them i think that's a big story that's out there just in terms of the details i would agree with you but in terms of the overall story I think people know that Biden is being looked into for this. Um, I, I, I don't think people are nearly as knowledgeable. I think Go the, out the, into the Trump street one right was now. so... <laughs> Stop no, the pod. I, I think the Trump one was such a cultural moment. Oh, my God. The ex-president was raided by the FBI. And Biden, the current president, they, di- they didn't frame it as a raid. They framed it as a search. But the outcome is the exact same. They're looking for classified documents. It's the same organization. The framing was different. And because of that framing, people look at it different. And that's where, that, that's where Pratik that, says but they that's were invited. how the media influences the way people think. And I do agree in that regard. Yeah, but the words matter. A raid means you were not invited. They didn't want you there, and you went there anyway. Uh, in the, could they have raided the sitting president? No, then you're going Do you think they the would have raided the sitting president? Do you think but they the would have raided matter. the sitting president, though? I don't think they ever would have. I think they had to make it a search because they're not going to do that to the sitting president of the U.S. It makes us look so weak and bad, and Biden loses so much, you know, I, I don't know if you call it leverage or influence or power or whatever. I think he looks weak after that. That's I fair, mean, but they, they didn't did. rate him, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Again, but that's that's what I'm saying. What Tyler said exactly. That's my argument. It's just that, you know, the way we look at things is framed by the media and by the way the media says things, it influences what we think about it. It could be the same exact thing, but if the media frames it in a certain way, you're going to think about that thing completely Yeah, but also, again, a, a, a counterpoint. The media is like the government where it's so big and bureaucratic in a way that you know, no one, no single person's controlling it. It's groups of people. There's so many liberals. You know, there's poor of Republicans, but it's really these. Ma- it's not individuals. It's just these huge groups that you can't and, really control. And again, outright. Maybe in thirty years from now, the way we look at media will be different. But my argument is, is the majority of the people that vote in this country are over the age of forty. Most of those people are looking at traditional news sources. They're going to be looking at New York Times, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. Um, what is it? They're probably going to be watching your local TV station, so ABC News, CBS News, NBC News. And then they're coming up with their opinions about what they think about things. And then you might have investors that are going to be watching CNBC News or Fox Business. But my point is that those are your traditional news sources. Those are what regular people listen to. People that are hardcore right and left watch right right people watch sean hannity's show and they watch all that stuff and the left people watch people like rachel maddow like there's a split in every of all those sources but the people in the middle generally that are voting that are over the age of 40 are probably in that context that they're looking at you know the big traditional sources that's all my argument is. all right guys let's move on to our final story let's talk about the interest rates um i think that's probably a good story to end on um pratik you want to take it off okay so the Federal Reserve interest rate decision has been made. So central bank hikes by uh, central bank hikes um, by 0.25 percentage point to tame inflation. The Federal Reserve is easing its foot a bit further off the brake, but it appears far from ready to step on the economy's accelerator. 
The Fed is expected raised its key short-term interest rate by a quarter percentage point Wednesday, throttling back from a half-point hike in December and acknowledging that a historic inflation spike is slowing. Inflation has eased somewhat but remains elevated, the Fed said in a statement after a two-day meeting. The central bank appears reluctant to signal that its aggressive campaign to beat back price increases is nearing an end, even as it begins to balance the benefits of the initiative with growing recession risks. So with inflation, this whole thing with interest rates, the way, the way it impacts you is that whenever an interest rate hikes up, it influences what a business does. If the business um, is operating, if they have a loan, when the interest rate shoots up, their loan amount shoots up, which that what that does is it makes it harder for you and more costlier for the business to operate, which leads them to have more expenses, which influences their decisions when it deals with labor and how they go about their you know expenditures. This is from anywhere from a small business to a big business. And big businesses have bigger loans from bigger banks that are getting high interest, they're getting these big loans. And whenever the interest rate goes up, their rate goes up. And if it's not, a, if it's a floating rate, then it's going to become very high which is going to make it more costly for them to do business so all of that stuff influences everybody there is no one person that isn't influenced by interest rates you know going up people that are at the bottom to the people at the top are going to be influenced in some way whenever interest rates go up and when inflation happens because whenever you are sure you're making more money wages have risen what that means is that the what you could have done with your 15 or with your seven dollars before can be done with your 10 to 11 dollars now like you're not you're not benefiting anyone really you're just paying you're just giving more bills and no one's really making much more money because even if they are making much more money they're only able to buy the same value of stuff that they were able to buy before so that's yeah. my thoughts what are your thoughts so on this? part of this you know coming from covid the fed didn't respond early enough in terms of raising the rates which is why they've had to be more aggressive but because it's only a quarter of a percentage point raise it is signaling that it is somewhat slowing from the raises they had done previously than that so while while we certainly have more rate raises to go we're quite far along in terms of this and i think eventually they'll be switching it around um as it does i i think some of the fed data is showing that the inflation is slowing and that's all they've been looking for here so hopefully that goes back down i know it's a big drain on businesses to have to pay more but if you believe in the central bank if you believe that they have to control inflation this is part of the process and you have to go through these periods of time where it's just harder to get hands on capital but it's a way to avoid just runaway inflation yeah and looking at the cpi so in december it was uh 6.5 percent when it ended on a monthly basis and during the summer it was nine percent so it's showing that you know consumer prices are slowing however that you know still not the most comforting thought given that eggs cost you know 1.5 times what they used to be and everything else at the store is is getting up i mean gas prices that that's a little different now it's topping out around 350 i know that's you know i don't know not as bad as it used to be still not great but you know i just think that a year from now tyler to your point where like things are sort of slowing down do you think that's enough time for people to sort of forget how things were over the summer by the time the next election comes around? Because that's one thing that's going to be in a lot of voters' minds, I feel like, is, you know, we've seen from the Harvard-Harris stuff, we've seen from all these different polls that, you know, the economy remains a top concern, inflation remains a top concern. And so if things weren't great last summer and the Democrats were in charge, you know, the Republicans are just going to pin that on them the entire election and say, look, the economy under Trump was great. It was fantastic. 
ignoring the whole mess that happened during COVID at the end. But they're going to say, oh, it was great. And then the Democrats came in and ruined it all. Joe Biden is to blame. We shouldn't vote for him. We need someone new. We need a Republican. Yeah, well, people are still going to remember because I think we're still going to be going through it. If if all the data the big banks are, are saying is going to come true, they're saying 2023 is at least a soft recession. So I, I think we're still going to be going through the midst of it. People are going to be hurting. Um, we, we've stopped getting those COVID checks, you know, probably a year ago now. I think people are starting to really feel the burden if they didn't have enough savings or they had blown through their savings. So I do think it's going to be a tough year or two. So I don't think people are going to forget. It's going to be top of mind. And all those moderate voters out there that are, you know, apolitical, as I said before, and not committed to either party are going to go with the party that's going to give them more capital, give them more access to capital, going to help the economy, which, yeah, I think gives an edge to Republicans. So I wanted to add some context to all this stuff, too. So whenever you think about this stuff, it's sure, first thing it impacts the stock market and all that stuff, but the way it impacts is interesting. So when higher rates, whenever interest rates get higher, what that does, it hits bonds very hard, which pushes their prices down. This stuff influences the bond market. It makes the bond market more unstable. And it now influences the cryptocurrency market as well, because whenever the higher rates increase, it in reduces um, the support that people would be willing to invest in terms of stocks, bonds, and cryptocurrency. That's the first thing. The second way this impacts you is from the borrower standpoint. So whether you have student loans, personal loans, business loans, any type of loan, whether you're trying to go to school or whether you know you're you have you're trying to save up to do some big business, in the end of the day, you're gonna be paying a higher interest rate, which is gonna influence how much money that you're spending. Um, and whenever the interest rate goes up on the loan, if it goes up to over 10, 11, 12, whatever percentage point, that just makes it more costlier for you to do whatever you're doing in terms of your payments. And how this impacts everyone, doesn't matter if you're a loan borrower or not, is from credit cards. So when it comes to credit cards, whenever the cre whenever the federal funds rate increases, that makes it makes your credit card rates increase as well to mimic the federal rate hikes. So that's the other big thing. So everyone that has any type of credit card debt, anyone that has any, you know, has, uses credit cards, which is most people in our country, they are going to be influenced by this hike. And now the last thing, which is the political perspective, is the national debt. We talked about national debt being above $31 trillion. Well, when raise, rate, whenever you raise rates, it raises the cost of the federal government, which rolls over the debt, and it leads it to borrow more money. So whenever you're doing more things in terms of the debt process, when you're raising the debt ceiling, what that's going to do is whenever interest rates hike up, it's going to make it more costly for, you're going to borrow more money, so then that's going to create more debt overall so everyone gets impacted whether you're at the bottom whether you're at the top whether you're in the businesses whether you're someone that is like a student everyone is impacted by a federal rate hike so it's just interesting that these kind of things are where the there's like there's no real partisanship there isn't like anyone is really benefiting the only people benefiting from this stuff are the people that are the lenders the people that are giving the money are gonna get more money but the fact that there's inflation means that they're not getting any more real value for the money they're just getting more bills but it doesn't necessarily mean that the value of that money is where that money was before the inflation rate stuff increased so just wanted to give more context on why this is important. Yeah, it's very complicated, which is why we should go back to the gold standard and abolish the uh, central bank. But <laughs> And moving on, 
from the raising interest rates. We actually have a Biden gaffe this week. I know it's been a little bit. It's not because he hasn't been making gaffes. Um, they just haven't been too significant, but we're bringing it back for you this week. So what do we have? Well, we have Biden speaking at the 30th anniversary of the Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA, mixing up his words. Um, he was attempting to say that half of his administration are women, but instead, instead said that, more than half of the women in my administration are women. Um, so just another classic Biden gaffe, slip of the tongue, something we see quite often. What are you guys thoughts? It's pretty funny. But it's not, it's not that bad of a gaffe. It's just kind of like, it's a gaffe. It happened. That's entertainment. That's what that is. That, that <laughs> provides entertainment for the people covering politics like ourselves. So I appreciate it, Mr. Biden. Thank you, Mr. President. Nick? Well, did he laugh it off? That's my big thing. I feel like if you make a gaffe like that, you got to chuckle. Like, it sounds a little silly as you're saying it. I think if you're a good sport, you know, no one really cares. But if you keep plowing through the speech and you say similar gaffes, I think when it starts to add up, that's that's always the thing. I mean, we all know that Biden mixes his words, but... You know, again, I think if he laughs about it later, you know, no harm, no foul. I just think it's funny. Yeah. So in the video, it doesn't show afterwards. I don't know if he's laughing at laughing after, but he's definitely like jumbling up his words and he looks pretty serious <laughs> when he's saying it. So, well, he wants you to know. But hey, that's our president. That's a, that's our great, great grandpa president just trucking along. That's the guy we put in office. It's really all of our faults for putting him in office. It's not his. But anyways, guys, that is the Biden Gaff of the Week. That is episode 116 of Politicana. Thank you for tuning in. Please share. Please like. And we'll catch you next week. Later.